So let's begin our meditation for the morning by reciting the uh, portion from the Metta Sutta. May all beings be happy and secure. May all beings have happy minds. Whatever living beings there may be, without exception, weak or strong, long, large, medium, short, subtle or gross, visible or invisible, living near or far, born or coming to birth, may all beings have happy minds. Let no one deceive another nor despise anyone anywhere, neither from anger nor ill will, should anyone wish harm to another, as a mother would risk her own life to protect her only child, even so towards all living beings, one should cultivate a boundless heart, one should cultivate for all the world a heart of boundless loving friendliness, above, below, and all around, unobstructed, without hatred or resentment, whether standing, walking, or sitting, lying down, or whenever awake, one should develop this mindfulness. This is called divinely dwelling here, not falling into erroneous views, but virtuous and endowed with vision, removing desire for sensual pleasures. One comes never again to birth in the womb. <coughs> so go ahead and turn off the lights, please. So remember that it's important to keep these words in the back of our mind as we practice metta. These are the Buddha's direct instructions for cultivating these kinds of states. And we also need to keep in the back of our minds the reasons why we practice and develop metta. The reasons to avoid anger. The reasons to replace anger with, with compassion and goodwill as we've been speaking about for the entire duration of this retreat. For this guided meditation, we're going to do something a little bit different. Look at an aspect of metta that we haven't touched much upon, but that is still nevertheless very important. So to begin, since you're all now experienced meditators of metta practice, I want you to just Cultivate metta in the way that you've found most productive during this retreat. Whatever instructions, whatever words, whatever has worked best for you. Develop that in such a way that you cultivate the thought and intention of goodwill for all beings. Whether you want to start with yourself, start with a friend, or visualize something, doesn't matter whatever has worked best for you in your own experimentations. Go ahead and get started doing that and we'll move forward from there. So you can repeat to yourself if you wish. May all beings be well, contented, and peaceful. May all beings be well, contented, and peaceful.
let those intentions of metta arise in the mind and fill the mind. Keep those intentions strong, keep pressing them in that kind of way towards all beings. When the mind becomes <coughs> calm and tranquil, then 
it's able to see things more clearly. That's one of the benefits of this kind of practice, that it calms down, soothes the mind, so that we can see things more clearly. So what I'd like to draw your attention to then is what's happening in this presently arisen experience of metta or compassion or joy or equanimity. Within that experience there are all the usual constituents of how we experience things. Form, feeling, perception, intention, consciousness. <coughs> the most noticeable one is seeing the intentions that we have. Metta is karma. It's an action. It's mental action. We set up the intention have the volition to develop thoughts of goodwill. And we can become aware of that intention. See why it is that the mind can dwell on that intention. Or we can also see why it's having trouble dwelling on that intention. What's intimately connected to that is the feeling resulting from that action. In metta practice, we develop the intention of goodwill, of compassion, of appreciative joy, of equanimity. And as a result of that, there's a pleasant feeling. That's the result of that action right then and there. And so we can see, even in the practice of developing thoughts of goodwill, action and its results. So we can see, because of this action, which is rooted in this and this, namely rooted in non-greed, non-hatred, there is a pleasant result on account of that. It's a skillful action with the roots of what is skillful. We dwell on this idea and the mind begins to understand what this skillful thing is and why it is skillful and why it should be pursued and developed because we see that it gives rise to a pleasant feeling that's not connected with what is unskillful like is the case with things like delighting in sensual pleasures. That kind of thing is rooted in greed and hatred and delusion. Whereas the pleasure born of metta is not rooted in those unskillful things. Even further than that, we can see the impermanence of everything here. Even these joyous th feelings born of the intentions of metta are impermanent because the feelings 
are built upon the contact with the thoughts of goodwill. They're sustained by the intentions. Those thoughts, those intentions cease. So too, the pleasant feeling must cease. So we see the feeling is impermanent. The contact is impermanent. The intention is impermanent. And so even to this, something as sublime and joyous as metta, we can't cling to that either. So whilst continuing to develop those intentions of metta, we at the same time can also see how these things are all anicca, impermanent, subject to change, uncertain. And by seeing this, even with something as peaceful and sublime as the liberation of mind through goodwill, we understand or begin to understand that even those pleasant, skillful things, we can't even cling to those as me, mine, myself either. Because they arise, stay for a time, and eventually vanish, just like everything else. And we see in these things the general property of any of the aggregates. Just as this feeling is impermanent, so too is any feeling that's a structural feature. We can also see the perceptions within this state. There can be perceptions of things like likeness, warmth, calmness. These are all things that we identify, they're all perceptions. But they too are also bound up with this intention, with this thought of metta. And so we see this, and this is dependent origination. When this is, this comes to be. When this ceases, that will also cease. The intentions, the feelings, the perceptions, every single aggregate with this arisen thought of metta behaves in the same way. And so we continue to cultivate these thoughts of metta in the same way as we've been doing before. But we also try and take a bit of a step back from that. We don't want to get absorbed in the pleasant feelings of metta so that we forget our situation. But instead we want to have that present there whilst we also begin to see the nature of it. That's what vipassana is, investigating the nature of a thing while it's presently arisen in our experience. That's how we come to understand that phenomena and all phenomena whatsoever. So continue cultivating these wishes of metta, these thoughts of metta, these intentions of metta, while also at the same time looking at the different aspects of how metta is experienced through the body, through feelings, through perception, through intention, and even just through consciousness itself.
how consciousness becomes established on that state, how it's presented to us. And doing that, we gain wisdom, we gain insight, seeing things as anicca, <coughs> dukkha, anatta, seeing things in the framework of the Four Noble Truths, seeing the origin of a phenomena and its ceasing, seeing paticca samuppada. Even in metta practice, if we orient our minds in the proper way, we can see and understand all these things. You don't have to stop doing metta in order to see them. You can just see them right there whilst metta is arisen in our minds. So train with that for a while. If you find yourself losing those thoughts of goodwill, recognize the changing, recognize the impermanence. And you can also shift your focus back to generating those intentions again.
If you find your investigation becoming disconnected, i.e. you're just thinking abstractly about metta instead of having metta right in front of you, then you can go back and rekindle that. Rekindle those arisen thoughts, those arisen feelings. It's important to see these things whilst they're present. When we investigate things in that kind of way, there's certainty and assuredness because we see what's there right then and there. We see that all these things are like sticks propped up together. You remove one stick and the rest of them fall down too. That's how the Buddha describes impermanence due to dependent origination. Things support on and depend and determine each other. They don't exist independently without any connection. Because of that, we're not the masters of these things. These intentions require effort in order to cultivate. They're not, they don't just magically and simply appear because we wish them to. We have to develop the mind in that direction. Likewise with the feelings. The feelings arise because of other things. We don't have that full mastery to just make them appear whenever we want to. There's barriers, there's resistance. And even just seeing that can bring us to understand that these, we're not the masters of these things. They arise when the requisite conditions are met. Not because of our own, the will of ourselves or our being or anything like that.
remember that we have to have patience when it comes to all this. Seeing things properly is not an automatic thing. It requires constant digging, constant drilling. Seeing that these states have this nature and it couldn't be any other way. And we come to that point, that's real understanding. The absolute necessity of things being anicca, dukkha, anatta. But for a long time, we have not seen things properly because of our ignorance and delusion. And so it requires that constant investigation, constant dwelling on these views the Buddha put forth in order to eradicate our misunderstandings of the nature of things. So we shouldn't get frustrated if we don't become enlightened in one sitting. The Buddha said this is a gradual training, a gradual practice. Just like how you dig a deep hole to find a well. You don't get to the water with one scoop of the shovel. It can require a great deal of scooping. Yet at the same time, we can know that the reward will be worthwhile for ourselves. So you can continue practicing in any of the ways that have been presented to you during this retreat, <coughs> keeping in mind the purpose of metta itself. For both samatha and even possibly for vipassana, it can be used, it's open to that. So those who have interviews with Bhante Gunaratana can proceed to the dining hall, sangha hall area. Everyone else can continue practicing sitting, standing, walking, meditation until lunchtime. <laughs>